Psalm 19. We'll start at verse 7. Psalm 19. Verse 7. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your slave is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults, and also keep back your slave from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again this morning, just thankful as men that we can call you Father, that we can gather together, we can get together and just open your word together and talk amongst each other about uh, the issues that we face. We pray that uh, this morning would be a time of just encouragement, conviction, or uh, just reminders of how much we need you and how dependent we are upon you and your word. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Um, who needs notes from last the last two weeks? We we're about to finish masculinity and secret sin. Anyone still need notes on that? We are like the last couple of pages uh, of notes for that. Um, masculinity and secret sin, we left off, I think, on page nine. And then I got going a little, uh, <clears throat> a little long last week with this, but uh, <clears throat> we'll finish it up here this morning, Lord willing. I think we left on, on page nine. Is that correct? Does it look right to you guys? On suffering <clears throat> is God's loving safeguard to man. Again, we're, we're talking about, just for the last couple of weeks, talking about um, secret sin and just the idea that uh, no sin is really secret, that eventually it will, it will come out. Um, all sin will be exposed. Uh, even if we think our sin won't be exposed in this life, it will be exposed in the next, right? Uh, we can never hide our sin from God. If we do hide it from um, each other, that's one thing. <clears throat> uh, we can live a life of secret sin in that way for a time or even for the majority of our life, <clears throat> depending on what the issue is. But eventually it'll be exposed. It'll ultimately be exposed uh, in the life to come when we stand before God. We can never hide things from Him. Uh, Hebrews four twelve is going to it's going to explain more about that, right? And so, talking about just different secret sins and, and different ways that we we need to be thinking about it. It's a few things. Um, back on like page eight, 
you, you talk about uh, area on the side of like self denial, self restraint, right? Rather than giving into like our our pleasures, giving into self gratification, those sort of things, and how how critical that is just in regards to sanctification and endurance. Talked about number ten there on page eight. You can have putting effort into inviting input from other godly men in our lives who are around us on a regular basis. And again, this is just critical. Uh, for for many men, uh, we don't like to share our feelings. <laughs> uh, and to some degree, that's good. And this isn't about sharing feelings. It's about confessing sin to each other. This is about asking each other around us, what do you see in my life that needs to be corrected or improved or worked on or those sort of things, inviting that, not just waiting to be asked, uh, but inviting somebody to give input. Also being willing to be corrected and being willing to have somebody tell you um, certain things that they may see in your life without stiff-arming that, without saying, how dare you, without saying, um, you're wrong. Um, maybe they are wrong, but uh, the way we can respond to that can still be humble. But getting wisdom and getting input from other godly men around us is going to be critical for our our life of not secret sin. Right? Um, often think about the, as we as uh, the notes point out there of the sin of Rehoboam. How he, as soon as he gets power, he immediately splits the kingdom because he's listening to the foolish counsel of his young friends as opposed to the wise counsel of the older men around him. We don't want to, in our sanctification and in our godliness, we don't want to look to just those who affirm us, those who make us feel good, those who are going to agree with our position on something. One of the problems with technology and social media, these sort of things, is that we can we can gain a following, we can gain those who are just going to agree with us no matter what. So if I hear something opposing, I don't like that, I can find somebody else who's going to agree with my position so I feel affirmed in what I'm doing, which is probably bad. Right. So getting input from those around you who know you best is going to be critical for us men. Now, number 11, I think this is where we left off. <clears throat> Number 11, suffering is God's safeguard to men. Suffering is one of God's safeguards for men in regards to secret sin, right? in regards to not allowing us to give in to and to be living a life of secret sin. What, <clears throat> what does that mean? How is suffering a safeguard from God for us? How's that the case? Just like going through hard times is like, yeah, okay, okay, keeps us in check and rounded. Yeah, how so, Rick? I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. <clears throat> yeah, often suffering keeps us in check in one way, just say, because it points us back to, to to God, points us back to our need for Him. It points us back to our, our, our dependence upon him in, uh, in, in many different ways. 
<clears throat> you know, in Second Corinthians one, um, it talks about how when we are suffering, God gives us comfort. God comforts us so that we can even use that same comfort to comfort other people. And so, suffering even is a way for us to grow in our 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 our, um, our ministries. God gives us unique suffering so that we can come alongside others and minister to them in similar ways or in different ways in which God has ministered or others even have ministered to us. <clears throat> also, suffering helps again to reveal our sin. To, it reveals our responses. If you've ever had a hard time, if you've ever suffered, if you've ever went through a trial, and you see how you maybe respond in anxiety or anger or fear or whatever, that is exposing your sin. Sometimes we wonder, why has God put me through this? And there's many reasons why he may. One of the reasons is probably to reveal that sin, to reveal your need for him, to reveal how you need to mature and grow through that sin, and maybe to reveal pride. Suffering is a way to again, God uses to purge us of our sin. Again, Paul, famous section there, in 2 Corinthians 12 with the Apostle Paul, um, how his suffering was meant by God to humble him. God gave him a lot of difficulty. Verse 7 of chapter 12. Because of the surpassing greatness of this revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to keep me from exalting myself. That's why the Apostle Paul suffered in that way, which we don't know exactly what, what that thorn was, other than messenger Satan, probably a false prophet, a false teacher. <clears throat> that was given to Paul to keep him humble and to realize, verse 9, that God's grace is sufficient for him. God's power is perfected in Paul's weakness. So suffering often is for us men is a safeguard for our, our, our pride, to, a safeguard for us to have our sin exposed. And when your sin is exposed, and and you it is you know you do realize maybe you're more anxious or angry than you thought you were, or your wife points that out, your kids point that out. Be humble and take that. You realize that yeah, you're right. This is why God put me through this. This is one of maybe fifty reasons why God put me through this trial, no matter how big or how small it may be. This is what God uses to sanctify us. So the longer I've been alive and the longer I've been in ministry, <clears throat> this is one of the, the more humbling aspects of life and ministry is the suffering. Um, the longer you live, the more you see that. The more you see that. Puritan George Swinnick <clears throat> has said this, a sanctified person, like again, like a silver bell, maybe I mentioned this last week, I don't know, not under this quote, but is the harder he is smitten, the better... Sounds. God is sanctifying us, purifying us, as you do making a metal bell. <clears throat> Number twelve again, growing fearful of God lends to spiritual health. Growing fearful of God. We talked about this in Sunday school with the kids on uh, this last Sunday. It was fun. I'm talking about fearing God a little bit. Um. It's always sanctifying to teach like little kids. Um, so I realize like how sometimes out of touch I am, <clears throat> even though like my daughter's in class, <clears throat> trying to like teach a rowdy 
group of kids uh, the Bible. I'm like, okay, how do I like, communicate this truth to like eight-year-olds? <laughs> uh, if you haven't taught, it's fun. Um, <clears throat> anyway, growing fearful of God tend, lends us uh, more spiritual health. Now, what do we mean by this? Well, our current generation and growing up for me uh, in the 80s and 90s church um, was Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's it. Okay, great. What does it mean? I don't know. I don't know what that means, but Jesus loves you. and Go do what you want. Is sort of the, the mantra. Um, now, obviously, Jesus does love us. And he does have a wonderful plan for our lives, right? But what that often is turned into is God is just love, but there's nothing else about him. There's no other attributes about God other than he's loving, he's kind, and he wants to make you happy. God wants to make you happy. And so the love of God has become like sort of the chief doctrine or the, the sacred <clears throat> doctrine of God that we can't touch and we can't talk anything about. And anything other than what we think is love is seen as unloving. <clears throat> um, and that's just been more and more propagated today. Um, we need to obviously understand God loves us and, 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 and that is a huge a huge attribute of God, and that is a huge um, blessing of God that He loves us that sent that sent Christ to die for us, which we'll celebrate tomorrow. It's Friday. <laughs> tomorrow, um, we'll celebrate that the great love of God that He sent Christ, His the second <clears throat> person of the Trinity, to come to die for us. That is the love of God. But there is more attributes to God and more a- aspects or we say um, uh, perfections of God than just his love. <clears throat> and we need to just be mindful of that. Um, and I think many times just thinking God loves me can be a way to distract ourselves from the fact that God is um, going to judge the world. Thinking God loves me could distract me from thinking this sin isn't that big of a deal. God loves me. God saved me. God's gracious. I can do my sin and no big deal. You know, um, I've, I've heard, I've had people tell me it's okay. God loves me. I can watch pornography and ask for forgiveness later. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so like, I can go and commit adultery and that's fine. Oh, no, no. You can't do that. That's the difference. You know, those sort of mindsets can just be, you can be sucked into. And so we need to be mindful of that and, under, and just have, have a healthy sort of fear of God rather than just thinking, yeah, God loves me, so therefore because of that, I can go and sin in these multiple different ways. Even the Gospel Coalition, which is no longer the Gospel Coalition, don't read anything from the Gospel Coalition other than from like maybe Kevin DeYoung. Um, but they recently published an article, a real article. This isn't this wasn't April Fools or Babylon B. A real art, article said that God is not a God of wrath, but only of love and mercy. That was like the article. God's not wrathful. We shouldn't talk that way. Have you ever read Genesis? What happened in Genesis? It's pretty big event full of wrath 
the flood. That, that's, that shows the wrath of God. Even the cross shows the wrath of God, probably in a more significant way. We can't forget that. Yes, the cross shows the love of God, the great love of God, but it also shows the wrath of God. We have to think that way. We have to think not Jesus loves me and died for me so I can do whatever I want, but Jesus died on the cross and took my wrath for me. How dare I sin against him in this way? Why should I sin against him in this way when he bore the wrath that I deserve? That's a healthy fear of God. Psalm 128 says, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who fears Yahweh, who walks in his way. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well <clears throat> with you. Or just having a healthy fear of God. Even just the idea of just understanding who God is and understanding what he has done, what he has made, is, as, as Eric put down in these notes, of just how God made the universe. And how God oversees every molecule of the universe. That is an, that's helpful for us to, to have a fear of God. Of this God who created all these stars and all these universes and all these, everything we see by speaking, he did that. Again, Genesis gives like a couple words to stars and stars also. God just spoke and there's the, billions upon billions upon billions of stars, 91 billion light years uh, across our, our, our universe. Right? God speaks these things. He's controlling all these things, and yet he is simultaneously sustaining us and loving us and is aware of what is going on with us, and he is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. Okay, that should help us. That should just kind of give us an awe of God. A fear in the sense of the awe, uh, 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 an awe of God, of how great, how glorious He is. I'm going to even just thinking, God knows every leaf on every tree and every forest. And how God also wipes out uh, an entire army in a single night without a sword. 185,000 men dying. And then how, when you see in Revelation, uh, there will be a lot more dead. And why does he do that? Because they are sinful and they deserve his wrath, which is why, again, all the more grateful we ought to be that that's not us. That should be us. We deserve to be in that punishment. We deserve to be on that cross for all of eternity, but we are not. And so again, this shows us the greatness of God, the majesty of God, a thankfulness for our salvation, our election, our redemption, regeneration, and so on. That shouldn't lead us to God loves me, therefore I can sin in these multiple ways. Yeah, Rome. Yeah, absolutely. It, one sin from from Adam and Eve plunged us into this 
depravity and to this goofiness. <clears throat> and now our hearts are just fully given over to evil, but yet God still has made the way for us to escape his wrath, and that should cause us to fear him and fear him rather than fearing man or being boastful or prideful in however we we do. Right? Again, this should really help us in dealing with our secret sin of just godliness and just having a fear of God of I don't want to sin against him because of who he is, what he's done for me. Also, I mean, just the judgment and the wrath I deserve. How dare I sin against God in these ways? That can be helpful for us at times, gentlemen, to, to not just think about the love of God, yes, but also his wrath and having a fear of him. Having a fear of who God is and understanding his attributes, understanding his character, understanding who is his, is his person. <clears throat> In the, the conclusion there on page 11 is we just kind of got to move on. Just again, while we need to remember a fear of God, also, again, we don't want to neglect and forget the love of Christ, of Him taking that wrath upon us, or upon Himself rather, for us. First John 4.10, and this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so everyone who puts faith in Christ is no condemnation for us. Amen and amen. But let that never be a license for our sin. May that never be a license for us to neglect um, godliness, to neglect sanctification, but that ought to be something that spurs us on to greater obedience and love for Christ. Okay? All right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on then. <clears throat> if you have questions about that, we can chat after. Let's move on then to the, to the new notes. Um, new set of notes on masculinity and mysticism. What does that mean? Uh, we'll find out. <laughs> masculinity and mysticism. You might be thinking, what is? why would we talk about this? Why would we talk about mysticism? I'm not a mystic. We don't have mysticism and we don't have shamans and these sort of things in our, uh, in our town. Uh, well, Mysticism can make can take many different forms in our world and in our culture and within the church. And within the church, even uh, just what does it look like within the church today? Just before we even get into what is the definition of mysticism and why why talk about this? Well, it, it takes many different forms in the church today. Uh, just a few things uh, I wrote down there: uh, evangelical fads. Uh, what evangelical fads can be, at many times, a form of, of mysticism. Things like, now don't stone me yet, love languages. Or, which we're going to talk a little more about next week, if we, Lord willing, we'll get to it. Things like the Enneagram. You guys heard of the Enneagram? Has anyone, has anyone heard of it other than like Cole and like Parker? Okay. 
If you haven't, you've probably, you, I guarantee you, you have family or friends who love this thing and think it's the best thing next to the Bible, or maybe even greater than the Bible. Okay. This is this is the biggest, newest evangelical fad, and it is uh, it's demonic. Actually, it's it's not from the Bible. It's demonic. We'll talk about it later. It's called the Enneagram. It's a number like two on your on your list there. The Enneagram. Uh, anyway, we'll talk more about that later. <clears throat> but that's that's a mystic idea, or even things like personality tests can be a form of mysticism, or importing other religious ideas and religious mindsets or methods into Christianity. Now you see this in a lot of different cultures. It's syncretism. You go into other cultures and you try to synchronize Christianity and like their 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 religion that would maybe was native to that culture, to that island, to that, you know, uninhabited to that uh, previously unreached uh, people group or something. Um, that happens even within Western Christianity um, as well. Right? Also, not just evangelical fads, but again, but adding scripture when it comes to things like disciple making or counseling. Well, we can let's let's import other man-made ideas into counseling or into discipleship. That's a form of mysticism. We'll talk about that why why in just a minute. Or even the idea of I don't need a local church, I can do church on my own in the mountains. Or in wherever, wherever you are, in my living room while I'm watching NASCAR. I have some family who love NASCAR. Like I can't, I, I don't, I don't get it. Like they'll go to the events. You guys are, yeah, you're crazy. You come from a redneck family, but um, <clears throat> I, I don't need church. I can do church on my own. I don't need leadership. I don't need that. I can just do these things on my own. Or, or God spoke to me. God told me to do this. God said I should do this. God gave me a vision to go here and do this. That's that's a form of mysticism. And we hear that all the time. Maybe you don't. I do. I hear it a lot. Uh, I hear it often. I hear it often from people I'm meeting with in this town um, that go to church claim to be Christians, God told me, God spoke to me, God gave me a vision, a dream. So I did this, I did this. Right. So now what is mysticism? <clears throat> a couple different definitions here. MacArthur said this in his book, great book called Our Sufficiency in Christ. I think it might even be out of print, which is bad. Uh, it's a great book, Our Sufficiency in Christ. He says this, mysticism is the idea that direct knowledge of God or ultimate reality is achieved through personal subjective intuition or experience, which is apart from or even contrary to historical fact or objective divine revelation, meaning the Bible. Again, we see this even with the LGBTQ plus IA, whatever it is, movement. We see this in wokeism, as we spent some time talking about. <clears throat> that reality... And, and, and ultimate knowledge is found outside of the Bible and, and through my own personal subjective experience. That is this the basic definition of mysticism. It's also, you can call it Gnosticism. That real knowledge comes from experience or something else out there, some sort of higher 
knowledge can be found outside of fact or outside of the Bible is really the idea. Or even, <clears throat> I need subjective experience to help me understand the Bible. I need subjective ideas and, and things outside of Scripture to help me to understand it. In the sense of, I need some sort of higher understanding, some sort of outside influence to help me to come to a conclusion and understanding of Scripture. Right. In, our, in our world, in the evangelical Christianity today, mysticism is the belief that God communicates and guides believers apart from Scripture, apart from the Bible. Now, they might not say it that way, but that's what they're saying. That's what the belief is. And this is usually done through in, internal, subjective impressions, where impressions I don't know, emotions, inaudible, or sometimes audible, voices in your head. Or dreams or visions. God gave me a vision of this. Somebody recently once told, uh, told me um, I had a vision, or somebody told me they had a vision of a, a Jesus standing around me with like his arms around me, so therefore I felt safe in the situation. That, I mean, that brings comfort to that person. But unfortunately, um, <clears throat> that's just subjective, and that shouldn't really do anything. I've heard people, uh, you know, when I was first uh, first saved and kind of just undiscerning, <clears throat> went to some of the, I went to like a Matt Redman uh, event. You guys know who Matt Redman is? I know Neil does. Um, and, uh, you know, was, people like prophesying over me. I'm like, dude, you guys are whack. You guys are weird. What's going on here? I'm like, oh, you're going to do this, do this. I'm like, I'm, I'm 19. I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, and it was just like, anyway, just weird, some weird things uh, that people have said to me. And I just, thank you. Uh, appreciate it. I'm going to move on with my day. Anyway, but these sort of things are, are very, very popular within evangelical Christianity. So even when you're like discipling somebody or counseling somebody, what this might look like, even even in talking to your family or friends, again, mysticism is the idea that is leading to some sort of practice, trying to discover God's will or God's answers to life's problems apart from or in addition to the Bible. When you're trying to talk to somebody or, or disciple a guy or disciple your wife, you don't want to go anywhere outside of Scripture or disciple your kids. We don't want to go anywhere outside of the Bible to help them. Right? Many people can go to things that are authoritative, authoritative writings, authoritative emotions, or authoritative ideas or practices or methods that they're going to use and say, see, this is my authority and this is what works, so therefore this is why we are doing this thing. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, again, mysticism is, it can be, it's the idea of it's self-authenticating or it has authority in, it, within itself. Right of I had a dream or a vision, so because I had a dream or a vision, I had a real experience in my head. You can't tell me it's wrong, and I can't. I can't say you didn't have that. I can't argue with your experience. No, you didn't see that in your head. You probably did this. You probably did see some image of some angel or Jesus surrounding this person. 
sure, maybe you did see that in your head because that's what you wanted to imagine. I don't know. But, okay. Is that authoritative, though? Is that authority from God? But to, that's, to them, that's self-authenticating. Or I had a vision. Um, it came true. So this must be from God. What do you do with that? I had a vision. It came true. It must be from God. Or this dream I had, it came true. It must be from God. Or this book or this theory must be biblical because it made me feel better. The Enneagram or the love languages must be helpful because it made me feel better. It fixed my marriage. It fixed my life. So therefore, it's good, and I'm going to pass it on to somebody else. You've ever heard that before. This thing worked. It fixed me. It made me feel better. There's a lot of things that can make you feel better. But aren't good. Right, Will? You're just smiling. A lot of things can make you feel better. Oh, this made me feel great. It doesn't mean that it's biblical or that it's helpful. Again, or God told me. These are the, these are the, the authoritative means by which people are going to make decisions and do things. God told me. Well, where did he tell you? Where did he tell you that? Or God impressed it upon me to do X, Y, and Z. Maybe it's getting a little closer to something that I can understand, but still, what do you mean God impressed upon you? How did he impress upon you? Or the Spirit spoke to my heart. We hear this a lot, especially from like sweet old Southern ladies. The Spirit spoke to my heart to tell you this, sweetie. Right? Or it worked for me. Again, this worked for me. This external, unbiblical idea, theory, practice worked for me. So therefore, it must be okay. You hear these things <clears throat> often. Again, the issue here is just one of authority. By what authority are we looking to for solutions to life's problems? What authority are we looking to for making decisions? What authority are we looking to for help in our marriages? What authority are we looking to for help in our sanctification? Are we looking to God's authority or my own or some other man-made authority? So we'll talk more about next week when we, uh, Lord willing, we'll get into again, talking about the Enneagram. And why do I want to talk about that? Because it's it's one of the biggest evangelical fads right now. Because it is, it'll fade. But people are going to ask you about it probably. If they haven't already, they will. Family or friends are going to ask you about it. What do you think about it? <clears throat> um, and I think just as men, uh, we need to understand the times, understand the day, understand what what's going on today in Christianity. What's going on? The, I mean, the Gospel Coalition or uh, Russell Moore, what's he in charge of now? Um, he's the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. You guys have heard of Christianity Today? The, the art, it's not Christianity Today anymore. It's horrible. It's, it's bad. Um, but he's, Russell Moore is in charge of uh, Christianity Today. Russell Moore, does anyone know who Russell Moore is? A lot of us do. 
um, big time evangelical kind of leader, uh, was in the Southern Baptist Convention for a long time, was in charge of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, the ER, ERLC, for, for years, and then stepped down um, to now kind of help lead basically Christianity Today. And he is promoting and teaching at a, a three-day conference on the Enneagram and the Bible. <clears throat> he's influencing millions of people that thinks that they're thinking this is okay and this is acceptable. And we'll talk about next week how it's demonic, actually. And so we need to be under, uh, equipped, men, on how to like deal and think with these things. Now, not just with the Enneagram, but also just my own subjective experience or <clears throat> other, you know, psychological self-help things that we may input into our lives can also be these we can also uh, we can also embrace those ideas with these with these same reasonings the issue then though is one of authority because even though even if something worked and it helped you and made you feel better or fixed your life doesn't mean it's okay it doesn't mean that it's okay that's called pragmatism right What's pragmatism in a nutshell? If it works, it must be right. It worked. So therefore, we should do this. It worked for me, and so we should do this. And we see that all over in churches today. All over. Well, this works in my church is 10,000 people now in the last two years. We've grown from 100 to 10,000, so it worked, so God must be behind it. That's called pragmatism. If it works, let's do it. Uh, and we see this in the church so many ways. I guess a fun story of Martin Lloyd-Jones. When he uh, went into a church, it was uh, his church, first church in, uh, in Wales. One of the things, the pragmatic things they were trying to do to gain um, popularity in their town was to put on like plays and like shows and events. And that, was, that would bring people, people into the church. And uh, he became a new pastor, and they're like, well, what should we do with this uh, new like podium and play thing and like backgrounds and all the stuff? He's like, what should we do with that? He's like, I don't know. Burn it. Take it outside and burn it. That's what you should do with it. He's like, we're going to preach. Uh, he's just like, I don't care what you do with that. I don't want it in here. Get it out. We're not putting on plays here. This is, this is, we're doing church. We're preaching. And uh, and over the years he was there, about a decade, I mean, more and more people kept hearing coming to hear him preach, and he was just a he was just a boring old preacher, preaching the word of God, and that's and people, many people got saved. His wife got saved under his ministry in that church as well, Sandfields. Um, but uh, anyway, we don't want to just try to do what what works. Many things in in quote-unquote Christianity that are helpful are probably are, are often unbiblical. It helped. It helped this person. It helped me. It helped my marriage. <clears throat> so therefore, it must be okay. But we have to be examining things, men, biblically. Is this biblical? Does this line up with Scripture or just my own subjective ideas, my own thoughts? Understanding some clarity can be helpful too with, with, with mysticism because people often talk about, I heard a voice 
God spoke to me. Okay, well, audible verbal speech is different from just some your weird internal inaudible voice. When God, you say God spoke to me, that's not even correct a correct way to to talk because that's not speaking. Right? We shouldn't say God spoke to me um, with in those ways. And and also again, even in a right way, we can recall certain scriptures. Certain scriptures can come to mind. We can have an idea or a desire to serve God in some way. But that's not, we shouldn't say God spoke to me. In a, again, in a very true and right way, we can say God, um, uh, um, or I, I have a desire to serve God in this way. I want to do this. I want to serve God in this ministry. Um, I, I have a heart for, the, for, for, for this sort of ministry. Um, when I was talking to so-and-so, God gave me these these verses in my head to, to to minister to them. Great, but don't say God spoke to me in that way. We got to be we got to be clear, careful in our terminology. Um, <clears throat> God speaks both, um, you know, out loud, and he he spoke or sorry he spoke out loud and internally to prophets, those who wrote scripture. He doesn't do that to you. I'm sorry, you're not that great. Yeah, Rowan. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Justin Peters, I think, uh, says that quote. If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear him speak audibly, read the Bible out loud. Right? <clears throat> so God speaks, or God's, God doesn't speak to you today uh, with some internal voice or some audible voice. If you hear God speaking to you audibly, he'll talk to you. Uh, we'll chat. We'll have some counseling. Uh, right? God speaks to us through his word. If God does speak to somebody, then we should add it to the Bible. God spoke to me. So, uh, okay, well, let's add it to the scriptures. You can be careful with that sort of language. <clears throat> and then also just a feeling or impression or emotion is different from communication through language. Again, just clarifying our, our terms here. We often hear uh, <clears throat> um, people speak about, talk about God and their Bible reading time as God impressed upon me. God spoke to me in this. God um, got, you know, I had some sort of weird experience in my scripture reading or helped me to understand scripture in, in, in a different way. Again, we just have to, to see what are people talking about with their, again, their, their levels of authority in that. Uh, the Bible alone is our authority and not our subjective experiences. And you go to many, many Bible studies, and it's, what does this verse mean to you? What does this verse mean to you? Meaning, how does this, how does this, maybe, uh, how can you experientially kind of think through this or understand this, not objectively or authoritatively? But just more, it's more subjective, right? <clears throat> so, sort of just intro there, understanding. Um, now we'll talk about just how some biblical doctrines help to bring clarity to some to, to a lot of this to to mysticism, and then uh, again we'll, next week, Lord willing, we'll get into the practice 
okay, well, what does this have to do with anything? We'll, we'll talk about how, how in practice a lot of this may, may look. But some biblical doctrines will bring clarity to how we can make decisions and how we can know who, what God is saying to us and how we can know the will of God and how we can know God himself. <clears throat> is this just the Bible? Biblical doctrines help bring clarity to these sort of things. The Bible, bibliology. Excuse me. How does God communicate to us? A couple ways: general revelation and special revelation. What is general revelation? And how is that? How is that God communicating? How is that different than like my internal subjective feelings? Yeah, through creation. Okay. <clears throat> general revelation is maybe through creation or through conscience. That's God communicating what? What is God communicating through through those things? We stand condemned before him. That there's a creator, and I'm not him. There's a God out there, and it's not me. That's what God's communicating. And then special revelation. What is special revelation? The Bible, right? God communicates through special revelation the Bible. Salvation. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yep. You're at good point. Yeah. Psalm 19, just verse 1 through 6. <clears throat> it just talks about how God is communicating who he is through creation, even just through the rising of the sun. Right, so special general revelation is God's God's communication of of His existence through um, creation. Special revelation is is giving us the gospel. That's how God communicates. God communicates through His Word. He communicates His will for us through His Word. God communicates what He wants for us in our lives through His Word. Now, no, God doesn't tell you who to marry and what job to take. We'll talk about how we make those sort of decisions later. Not with mystic ideas of of. Uh, Oh, stink. I forgot the prophet who threw it a fleece. Huh. Gideon. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Thrown out a fleece to see what, what God will do. If you, I know we've all done goofy things. Maybe you haven't literally thrown out a fleece and say, God, make everything wet and not dry. You probably haven't done that. But God, give me a sign. Give me a sign that if this is the right person to marry, this thing happens. Right, have you ever. I'm not going to ask by a show of hands who've ever done something like that, but I, I know I've, in my immaturity, I've, I've thought certain things like that and done certain things like that. And even now, I'm like, uh, at times, simple, like, God, this would just be easier if you would just help me to know what to do by this. But that's, that's not how God communicates. That's subjective reality. Uh, there, there are, uh, there's, the, there are some great stories, uh, you know, uh, my professors <clears throat> at Masters University, you know, um, 20 years ago when we first started attending, but <clears throat> they've been in ministry, man, a long time. I feel old, and I bet they feel old. Um, but uh, they had so many fun stories about these sort of things. One guy, <laughs> this poor kid, um, but one of, the, one of our professors, I think it was Stuart Scott, was counseling this guy about like, some issues in his life. He was just was struggling with anxiety, a lot of this fear, and um, something happened in his life where he just was you know, like he got arrested. And he's like, "Well, what happened, man?" 
Um, it's like, well, I really like, I really want to be a missionary. Really, really wanted to serve God. And, so um, I was just praying for God to give me a sign um, to know whether or not I should become a missionary. It's a great prayer. Lord, help me know if I should become a missionary. And he got done praying, looked up and saw the clock, and it said 7.47. An airplane! 7.47 is like a type of airplane. So that means I should go on this mission trip with my church or wherever, whatever he was doing and go. So he literally went to the airport. He thought, that's a God sign. I should go to the airport. I should get on this plane. I should do this. I should go here. And, you know, he got arrested because he was just like, I got to go. And they're like, no, you don't have a ticket. And like, you're kind of crazy. Uh, you're not getting on this. You're not getting on any flight, buddy. And like, what's wrong with you? Um, so those sort of things, uh, people like how I, I, I need, I had this, I had this internal prompting, this internal feeling of what I should do and where I should go and what God told me to do. And I heard somebody once tell me, uh, we got engaged because we were in a mall. We heard Beyonce's song, um, Single ladies, and we thought, oh, we should get married. I'm like, are you serious? And you wonder why you have some marriage problems. <laughs> uh, I didn't say that that to them, but uh, but that was that's that was our sign from God. Another another uh, another couple got got counsel. This was you know this is probably twenty five years ago. They got counsel like, hey, we don't you know we're just kind of we were friends. Um, this this is real. We're friends. We don't know. We should. We should. We should get married. You know, what, what do we do? And talk to their pastor. Um, you know, our, all of our friends said we should get married because you know we're compatible or whatever. But we just we just don't know. Like we just I don't know. How do we know if we should get married? And he said, "This is you know, this is real." He said, "Oh well, um, all right. Well, you know, uh, Susie, why don't you sit down there? Um, and Bill, I don't know the guy's names. Right, why don't you uh, stand up and?" Uh, why don't you walk around her <clears throat> um, seven times? Like the Israelites walked around Jericho seven times and the walls fell down. Uh, why don't you walk around her seven times and if the walls of your heart fall down, then then you guys should, then that's God's sign you should get married. This is real. And he walked around her seven times. <laughs> Pastor's like, what did you feel? She's like, I don't know. I kind of felt something. <laughs> a rush of wind came around and he's just running around her and they got married and uh, you know as anyone does they had problems just like anyone else but they were just like well maybe we shouldn't have gotten married maybe we, so there's just a lot of struggles because that's how they that, that was their authority by which they made a decision internal feelings and promptings and whatever We've got to be careful because it could just be the Chinese food you had last night that made you feel something rather than that was from God. Okay, bibliology is, 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 a, is a critical doctrine. The authority of God's word is one of the essential doctrines that's being lost today in Western Christianity. Again, the canon is closed, the Bible is closed, meaning we can't add to it. Nothing else can be added to Scripture. That's it. God's not speaking to you anything special. You're not that great. You're not Paul. You're not a prophet. I hate to break it to you. Right? Sorry, you're not one of the, the final two prophets in the end times. I had a buddy who thought he was one time. Uh, yeah. Let me tell us real quick. Get yeah, it at Masters. 
you know, people love the Lord. Some people are just crazy. Um, he lived on off-campus housing, um, so he'd get a shuttle bus to, to come to, like, class or to chapel or whatever. It'd be there, like, on regular intervals, kind of like, you know, a shuttle bus here in town. And um, uh, he, he, like, woke up late one day, and uh, he's like, oh, man, I got to, like, go to chapel. It's like five minutes till chapel. I got to, like, I got to go. And, well, of course, the, you know, the shuttle's already left. <clears throat> and, like, no one else is in the area. No one else is in the off-campus housing. It's, they're, they're gone. And he tries to call the shuttle driver. No answer. He tries to call his friends. No answer. He tries, like, um, this is before, like, texting was a big thing, so he just call him. Trying to call him and no answer. No answer. He's a bunch of people, like, no answer. He couldn't hear anything. Like, the streets were silent. No one else is in the, no one else is, like, the whole dorm area. He's like, man, the rapture happened. He literally thought the rapture happened. I must be one of the two prophets in Revelation. Like, that was his first thought. I was like, dude, why are you telling people this? It's so embarrassing. You, should, you didn't think like, man, I, I missed the rapture. I'm not saved. You thought I'm one of the two prophets in Revelation? <laughs> Don't tell anyone, man. Like, that's so embarrassing. Ah, uh, so funny. But the canons close, again, I'll have to say. And the Bible is sufficient, gentlemen. The Bible is sufficient for all of our issues of life. No matter what you are struggling with, what you are dealing with, what you are doing, what decision you are trying to make, what problems are going on in your marriage, in your parenting, in your life, the Bible is sufficient to help you. Second Timothy 3. It's not just a verse that we memorized in Awana or in Sunday school. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching you, for reproving you, for correcting you, and training you in righteousness. That's everything. And then verse 17, so that the man of God, which is you, may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped, for every good work. Meaning everything in life, the Bible is enough and profitable and sufficient for those things. The the word um, for um, kind of equipped there it just means the idea of being or thoroughly equipped rather it's the idea of being is just sufficiently equipped having enough information having enough uh, to handle whatever is is coming at you that's the idea the word of God has been given to you to sufficiently equip you for every good work for everything in life it's all we need. And the Bible is authoritative as well. Again, we, we can't look to any sort of outside influence or subjective experiences or subjective feeling for this is what I should do and this is my authority for, what I, for, for my decision. Scripture alone is our authority. Jesus viewed Scripture as authoritative. Jesus viewed the Old Testament as the authority by which he lived his life and how he um, rebuked the Pharisees and how he corrected many people by teaching correctly the Old Testament with, with authority. Many people were like, man, Jesus is speaking. If you look at the end of Matthew 7, um, the Sermon on the Mount, people were amazed. And it, they were amazed because they said Jesus was speaking, verse uh, 29, as one with authority, having authority, not as their scribes, it says. 
there, Jesus was speaking authoritatively with the Word of God. And he viewed the Bible as authority, a bunch of verses there you could look at. Again, other, other biblical writers views, viewed other scriptures uh, as their full source of authority as well. They, they viewed the Bible as authoritative, not as subjective or not as, well, we can just take this or leave this. Again, in our modern sort of Christian culture, we can we say, well, yeah, this, the Bible says this, yeah, but this, my authority is my is my experience. Like what um, Pastor Omri talked uh, preached about on on Sunday, or just the Bible's just authority in its clarity. If you guys missed that sermon, I encourage you to listen to it. It was excellent. First uh, Kings thirteen, just the clarity of Scripture and the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of the Word of God. Yeah, Matthew 4. Rome will remind us with that. Uh, yep. Yeah, Jesus is, is, is going to Scripture alone rather than his own experience. Right. Again, so as we end here, does God still communicate today? Absolutely God communicates to us today. Because many people will accuse us. Uh, oh, you guys are cessationists. So you don't believe God speaks to today. You don't believe God communicates today. That's not true. We believe God communicates all the time but it's through his word. Because this is the only source of authority I have. Because how do I know my subjective experience and my, the impressions I have in my head are real or are from God or are biblical? I don't know because they're from me. I know I'm sinful. I know I, um, I, 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 ha- I have sinful desires. And so I can't make a decision based off of how I feel. Oftentimes it's wrong. It's sinful. It's, it's just not the wisest way uh, for me to live is for me to live life based off of my my own emotions, my authority, but from the word of God alone, as this is authority, God cannot lie. His word doesn't lie. His word does not change. And so I need to go to the scriptures to make decisions to know how do I handle life? How do I handle this crisis? How do I handle whatever? How do I make decisions? How do I know God's will for me? It's not from mystical outside sources or some weird, you know, my, my love language tells me this, or my personality type is this, or therefore I don't have to do X. What does Scripture say? What does Scripture call me to do? God communicates through the Word. It's clear. It's accurate. Again, it's unchanging. It's timeless. And it's sufficient. We'll talk about next, we'll, we'll get into the rest of this next week, but how does the Holy Spirit help us? How does the Holy Spirit guide us? How does the Holy Spirit lead us? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? We'll talk about that next week. Um, and uh, then we'll kind of, we'll get into a little bit more of guidance, uh, how to know decision-making, and then we'll talk about, uh, we'll kind of put this into practice with um, a few things. But let me pray. <clears throat> and Father, we thank you again for this, this time, we pray that, uh, Lord, that we would be men of your word, men of faith, men of, Lord, just men of dignity who, who love your truth, who love your word, that we, we would lead our families, that we would lead our homes according to your word and your word alone. Father, we are grateful for your kindness, for your love. We are reminded, Lord, of, just you, of your love for us on the cross and the wrath that you, Christ, that you took upon yourself for us. May that cause us to 
get to love you all the more. May that cause us to greater obedience, to greater sanctification. Father, pray for tomorrow's service and for Sunday. That those who don't yet know you, those who don't yet believe the gospel would come and hear, would repent, would place faith and trust in you alone for salvation. We're, we, we love you. Uh, we are grateful. May you help us today to, to walk in obedience to you and to your word. We pray this in your name. Amen.